Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Time now for... There's two things that grow in Iowa. It's tight ends and corn. (laughs) The Yahoo Sports College Podcast. He's been terrible. That's it. And, you know, all it is, it's it's just this consistent parade of whining excuses and just wait. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Ah, welcome to the pod. I hope everybody had as good of a Thanksgiving as they possibly could during these times. Maybe it was a little different for you. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? But hope uh, hope it went pretty well. There was certainly plenty of college football over the weekend, despite games being canceled at the last Florida State. Second straight week, they had a game canceled on the morning of the game. It's like, crazy. You ain't safe until the girl kicker hits it. Like it's a, <laughs> um, we'll get to Sarah Fuller and her, her historic turn. In a little bit. I want to start with this, though, because it's actually one of the games that got canceled to me is the most fascinating situation we got going. Ohio State, Illinois didn't happen because of the Buckeyes have virus issues, including positive tests for Coach Ryan Day, who now has to miss certainly at least one more game. Pete, maybe two. Does he have to miss the Michigan game? You know, I TBD. asked that question specifically to uh, during the Ohio State uh, call. Pat, Pat was on it on Saturday morning at 1130. So. My understanding from the Jeff Brom situation, and correct me if I'm wrong, Pat, because I'm not quoting Big Ten medical procedures here. I'm going off the top of my head, which is dangerous, is that Brom had to miss 10 days. Is that correct? Yes, it was 10 days. And so the question is, when did his clock start, right? Correct. And, and now, in and other if leagues, he has symptoms that link, correct. right? I mean, there's... Yes. Yeah. In, in other leagues, uh, they've been able to wind the clock back a little bit with symptoms. And I don't, I don't know if you can do that in the uh, Big Ten. Good news for Ryan Day. He said he was resting comfortably. He did sound like, you know, he had some sort of issues. Yeah, you could kind of hear him coughing on, on, on the call. But the best news at Ohio State, nothing. No one's, no one's hospitalized. Right. They've had uh, Dr. Jim Borcher said there were no serious issues, which has, you know, obviously been the, the constant theme, thankfully, that we've seen uh, that we've seen from this. So there's a little aura of mystery whether Ryan Day would return for Michigan State. I would assume that Michigan, he's back. Like that, that's a long, a long enough period of time where I don't think that's in flux, but I would think there's going to be a little bit of flux. All right. So the question is, does the can the Buckeyes play Saturday at Michigan State? Now that is Gene Smith AD called it the primary focus. Get this team back on the field. If they can't, they will only play five regular season games before the determination of the Big Ten title game. 
which by Big Ten rules means they cannot appear in the Big Ten title game. And thus, if the standings stay, and I'm not really sure who else could get them, uh, Indiana would move in and play, uh, represent the Big Ten East. Now, they're out without Penix, their quarterback, but they are five and one, six and one, whatever. They're going to get there. Now, Ohio State, because of they've set up this championship Saturday deal, would then play a crossover opponent, which I'm going to presume might be Wisconsin. So they'd actually get a pretty good game out of it. But they could end up going into championship, into the selection Sunday at only six and oh, not the champion of their league. I think almost anyone would look and say, particularly after Northwestern just lost to Michigan State and could still lose again, or, you know, we'll see. Well, I mean, whatever happens, Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten. We also know the committee in past years has made this big thing, including mainly by Jim Delaney, and this has backfired on him. You win your championship means a great deal. Did you win a championship? Ohio State wouldn't have won a championship. So at what could could a 6-0 Ohio State not make the playoff. It could a could it and should it? I mean, and and then just how the heck do you compare? I, I look at Notre Dame could make the ACC title game, lose to Clemson, be eleven and one, play twice as many games as Ohio State, including two against a really good team when Ohio State didn't play anybody really. Like how do how do you ever take not take Notre Dame? At what point is six and zero just not enough for Ohio State? Even though I think everybody would go. Yeah, that's one of the best teams. So really dicey situation as you, as we go forward. There's no more wiggle room on this. Pat, what do you think? Yeah, no, it's fascinating. Fascinating. And this is kind of what we were thinking all along. We we're going to end up in some of these situations where you are looking at really disparate resumes from that standpoint. And those people on that committee, after they have their ice cream and their steak and their jalapeno cream corn, have got to make some tough calls <laughs> on who who's in and whether a six and zero resume matters as much as a eleven and one Notre Dame, as a eleven and zero Cincinnati, a ten and one Texas A and M. You know, they, I mean, it's going to be really difficult. If you're Ohio State, you could sit there and say nobody beat us. We played every game we could, and we won, and we were pretty impressive winning. Uh, but, again, how much were they challenged? How many times did they have to go put it on the line? And then, you know, I think part of what has the committee, believe it or not, has to take into consideration is you, there has to be some merit given to people who could keep their team on the field and play enough games, play that many games. So, you know, in terms of best four, I think there's a very good chance since uh, Ohio State would be one of the best four. Are they going to be given that opportunity? I, I don't know. It's a heck of an argument. It really is. Yeah. I, the, these are the debates of inequity that we were sort of we, we were expecting all along. Right. There, this is not a surprise that there's going to be these just drastically different resumes from uh, from these top teams. And I've mentioned this on the pod before, but I go back to what Brian Kelly said after the Boston College game when I, Notre Dame, when I believe eight. No, he said we've already played a Big Ten schedule. It was like politicking a month in advance, but <laughs> yeah. it was an excellent point. I mean, Texas State has already completed a 12 game season. I believe Utah yeah. played its second game yeah. last night. Was that yep. right? Yes. Yep. So Utah played its second game. This is where we are in college football. This is what we signed up for. There's no regrets for where we are, but there are going to be some difficult decisions. Uh, I mean, at that point, so it's funny about Ohio State, Wisconsin. Now, 
Big Ten title, Big Ten winner, whatever you want to call that. Ohio State, Wisconsin, to me, is just as good of a win as Ohio State Northwestern, right? They're, of course. They're, they're, there's not that big of a difference. So from the eye test, which is going to be more than ever this year, I think I don't I don't think you can knock them because they, they didn't hoist a trophy above their head because of a big because of a Big Ten rule. I don't I mean, yes, I agree with Dan. Like people made a big deal about conference champions. That was a Delaney rallying cry for a long time. But their their six and oh is going to be six and oh. I I do think that Ohio State is going to do everything possible to play on Saturday. Now, reading between the lines of the Illinois game, and and I'm not insinuating anything nefarious. What I'm saying is they had a COVID outbreak. The test showed it. And they said, if we go get on a plane and even like, you know, have meals, because they're going to fly the morning of, we are risking spreading this thing, contact tracing. We are risking this operation going off the rails for a couple weeks if we have a major outbreak. So, like, again, nobody said this overtly, and I asked Gene Smith this, but, like, reading between the lines, they could have played. Gene Smith said that. So I think they said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to pull back now. We're going to see if we can tamp our numbers down some, and then we're going to try to move forward. Because they did not cross both of the Big Ten thresholds. It was their decision to play. So in the best-case scenario, if they have similar numbers at the end of this week, they get 10 buses, and I'm making this up, and, and drive to East Lansing and just try to and just try to keep the thing together. So, well, I mean, it's not 200 that 200 Ubers? Drive. Just have like 200 yes. Ubers. Everyone's <laughs> yeah. in their own. No. Everyone gets their own. <laughs> yes. I, 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 I love to say this. The team There's a long history in Columbus of football players having to be able to borrow a car. <laughs> just, you know, the <laughs> test drive the new car down there is a well-worn uh, Right? What was it? Procession uh, of Hummers. Terrell yeah. Pryor. Pryor. Pryor got to. He got to. He got to test drive the car and take it back to Pennsylvania. I remember that story yeah. came out right when I was trying to buy a new car, and yeah. as like a forty-year-old guy who lived like a mile from the car dealership, like I got to test drive the car, and the guy came with me in the car <laughs> to make sure I would yeah. not just Terrell Pryor like take the car. You're twenty years old. Come back whenever you get a chance. Yeah, like sure. <laughs> he was just thinking about buying it. Like, no, that's not really on uh, Anyway, no. maybe we could work out a loaner program with the local car dealers of Columbus and everyone could drive and do it. I did love that that travel scheme that they had going to the Illinois game. They were going to get on an 8 a.m. flight in Columbus, land at like 8.15 a.m. Uh, local time, time yeah. central time, mm-hmm. and play a game at, was it at 11 a.m.? Yeah, right? 11. They're basically... Yeah. Like, that's how I like to travel to games. In and out, (laughs) baby. Like, no need, right? (laughs) Grab some coffee at the airport. You're at the game. Boom. Put on your shoulder pads as you're landing. Let me say this real quick. I do believe, Pete, you're right. They said, we're going to pull back. This is actually the Big Ten's plan working well. Now, I know the Big Ten got a lot of crap. But now you can disagree with this and say, these kids don't actually get that sick. All this contract tracing is, is overdone. That's fine. I don't want to get into that debate. But if the goal is to limit spread, then giving a team the option to do exactly what Ohio State did is a good thing. And I think as all of us as college football fans, we much rather have Ohio State play the next three weeks, particularly the two after this. But you want to play Michigan State, the Michigan game and the Big Ten title game than the Illinois game that no one was going to watch anyway. So there is a, from all the crap the Big Ten has gotten on this point, they allowed the Buckeyes to make a, I think, a savvy choice 
that could save their season. If they had had to go and play this game and then miss the next two, the, the season's over uh, or something close to it. So a little bit of credit for the much beleaguered Big Ten office on that. Yeah. A little just quick background on that, too. Jim Borchers, the team doctor, said that, yeah, they were over the 7.5% positivity rate. And so that was out of 170 people in their team population, he said. So that's like 13 or more. Uh, we know Ryan Day is one of them. He said there were no position groups that were, quote unquote, decimated by it. So, you know, this may be a thing that's more staff than players. And it could be that your player situation is going to be okay coming out of this and into the next week. So, yeah, to your point, uh, both you guys, that that maybe playing it a little safer this week and basically an expendable game against Illinois helps you in the, the, the coming weeks ahead when you really want to have, A, a full team, and B, just be able to play. One of my takeaways from that call, Dan, was that Ryan Day had a very specific practice plan ready. He was like, well, if we do a full contact practice Thursday and walk through Friday, like, like that was not a, an answer. Well, we'll yeah. see. It was like, we can do this and play. Like, this right. is the bare minimum. So, like, again, at, at Ohio State, uh, in, in Gene Smith, first of all, I give them credit. Like, they got their doctor, their coach, and their AD on the phone to answer questions. That is, I think, as about as high end a transparency as you can get from one of these one of these schools going through this. So Gene Smith brushed off the bigger questions about the 21-day sit-out period, which is unprecedented in the Big Ten, and a couple other big-picture playoff, uh, Big Ten championship game, big-picture things, to say health and safety, and I get that. That's that's fine. But rest assured, in Columbus, in, in a bunker somewhere, they are planning a playoff. Like, they, they push so hard for this. They feel like this is a special team. I think it's a very good team. I don't think we can say it's special yet, especially with the way Indiana shredded them in the second half. We need to see more data. The, the debate point is going to be whether we actually get to see them against the level of competition that yields that data. Well, I do think Eugene Smith's a great athletic director. I don't think there's any question about that. One of your one of our better ones. But this will be an interesting debate. And I do think a, a Notre Dame, Notre Dame's 11 and 0 going into that. I mean, at some point you got to be like, we got 11 wins, man. We're in. Yeah. And yeah. enough with this, whatever happens at Clemson. And then I think you'll have your debates. You know, I think Texas A&M can get to nine games, eight and one. Uh, Cincinnati can get to nine and oh, you're playing 50% more games. Right. And yeah, Ohio State was going to beat Illinois this weekend, probably. But there's also you get a week of rest. Like it's 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 a grind to play every week. Teams get nicked up and all of that stuff. So going to be very interesting debate, depending what happens to Ohio State. But we hope they do play, uh, obviously, against Michigan State. And, and they, they this all comes out. All right. The entire Big Ten is a mess. By the way, <laughs> woo yeah! All right, Penix is out at Indiana. This is probably the second best team in the league, and he's out. They still have to play Wisconsin and Purdue, so there's no guarantee. I mean, they could end up with three losses in a bizarre situation. Rutgers, which blew a ten point lead to Illinois and then missed the double OT kick against Michigan, they could be four. They could have been four and two and actually had like a path here, like in, in, in insanity. To like the craziest story would have been Rutgers ends up representing the Big Ten East. <laughs> Now, I'm not going to make excuses. They would have made a movie about that. Near losses are near losses. You are what your record says, Bill Parcells. Great jersey, jerseyite. Uh, But it was pretty wild. But Rutgers has a a, a very good win against Purdue. Michigan State has two nice wins for Mel Tucker. Northwestern loses and just, I don't know. They just, they don't have the offense. Michigan, you know, uh, looks I off. tried to tell you not to pick Michigan, I know, Dan. I know. The heartless. I tried to tell you. Well, my man got hurt. McNamara got hurt. 
I do. How I was, was he doing before he got hurt? He was doing pretty well. He was doing all right. Okay. The defense, no effort. It, it was awful. This that was an awful football game, Michigan Penn State. I I still believe I'm going to say this. I don't. I'm not reporting this, but I they they want to bring like Harbaugh's chances of returning are high, and there is a sentiment or belief that the sentiment by Ward Manuel, their AD, is. That they're going to look at this and go, look, Brian Kelly had a bad year, brings it back. Mark D'Antonio had a bad year. Lots of teams have bad years, good coaches. You can't just keep firing coaches after bad years. I don't know that Harbaugh's had a good year, a great year. But kids graduate, they don't get in trouble, they win most of their games. If McNamara shows something and you have something to build around, then and, and he does have the seventh-rated recruiting class coming in. For whatever reason, almost none of them from the actual state of Michigan. But <laughs> this is where we're at. So the idea that there's going to be a regime change in Michigan uh, is no guarantee at all. Although, obviously, Ryan Day could curb stomp and put that 100 on it and change it. We'll see. Iowa is really good right now. Nebraska sucks. And that's where I want to start with this. Um, And then we're going to get to Texas sucking, too. But I want to get to Nebraska before we get out of the Big Ten. Scott Frost. uh, This was not a good loss yesterday. And it's not so much they lost to Iowa. But after the game... He complains Iowa was clapping during the, the 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 snap and screwing up his coach his snaps the snap count. I don't know if you guys saw that. Kirk Ferentz. I mean, I, I've never seen Kirk Ferentz look so human when he was asked that. Like he's kind of robotic in his answer. He's like, please, like, what the hell are we talking about? Like it's stupid, right? Next thing you know, we'll be treating this like golf. Like he was legitimately like just insulted and he's like, I've been coaching forever. I've never heard of this nonsense. Like this is just cringe. Nebraska's not just losing. It's like cringeworthy, right? Like that's your excuse. And then someone asks Harb, uh, they asked Frost about the doubters, and he's like, I know what happened last time in this state, but it's, it's you know, I, or I know I, I've been doubted before in this state, but I know what happened last time. It's going to happen again. He's alluding to when he, he got shut out as the starting quarterback in 1996 and they come back and win the national championship in 97. Like there's no relationship between you as a player. If Jim Harbaugh was the quarterback at Michigan, I'm pretty sure they'd be doing better. He ain't. <laughs> He's the coach, right? This They can't really fire Scott Frost, I I don't think. But I'm looking five years as a head coach. He has four losing seasons and won 13 and 0. I know there is an an element of the Nebraska fan that just loves him and can see all the stuff that I look at and go, oh, God, you didn't just say that. That's fighting for the team. He's the Nebraska guy. But (laughs) I mean, does this guy, guy, can this guy coach? I mean,. Can we make a gif of that look Patrick did in Sully? <laughs> Pat, <laughs> Pat rolling his eyes. He's dying to get out of here. Uh, Pat, he thoughts. He's 10 and 19 in Nebraska. He's 10 and 19. He's been terrible. That's it. And, you know, all it is, it's, it's just this consistent parade of whining excuses and just wait. That's it. That's all they're selling right now is, A, it's not fair. B, you know, people aren't disrespecting us. If we just get this break, if we just get that break, and then, oh, well, wait, wait, just wait, just wait. Next year, year after, whenever, just wait. We'll be, no, 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 not buying it. Don't see anything to believe it. There's nothing there. There's no substance that Nebraska has shown to make you believe it's going to be any different. I think you could basically say the same thing about Michigan. There's Where's the substance to make you believe that year six or whatever, seven next year for Harbaugh is going to be different than the first five? And I think the same thing with Scott Frost. There's just a, 
you can keep saying it, but just saying it, what what does that matter at this point? And that's the thing is, you know, when when Kirk Ferentz is like, cut the BS, you know, I think people around the league are just tired of Nebraska. I know some of them are, for sure. Uh, you know, walking around like, we're Nebraska. Well, so what? Who's Nebraska? What have you done? And this is just more of that. It's like, well, you know, they're they're clapping over there. It's like, you know what? You just for once shut your pie hole and get better. It's the it's the year of the Kirk Ferentz clapback. Uh, if you recall the timeouts he took uh, oh, to yeah. show up, PJ Flack at the end of the Minnesota game. There was a uh, there was a moment on a Big Ten uh, Zoom this summer that I was told about where uh, Ferentz uh, and I was kind of told this somewhat in privacy, but Ferentz sort of told one of the coaches who'd been like consistently and persistently uh, a little bit aloof or weird just to be like, hey, basically he did not say shut the F up, but he basically did. And it it took all the Big Ten coaches by surprise because that is the anti-Ferentz, right? Like Ferentz is like, is he is really well respected in that league. When Kirk's talks, people listen. He doesn't just talk to talk. Um, And so... Yeah, I do think that some of some of the, the frost stuff was probably an accumulation. Remember, these guys were on Zoom calls every day with each other. So if you didn't like a guy, it's not like <laughs> you play him once and you have to listen to his comments the game week and then you maybe see him at like, you know, Lincoln Omaha West High School at some point and you run across him and you have an awkward run in. Like you are literally looking at him every day and you're like, I hate that guy. So <laughs> that's um, a really good point. <laughs> yes, no. So there was there was a lot of simmering animosity between Big Ten coaches because they would have these zooms. And look, we've all been to meetings, and I think we all, if there's one thing that unites the three of us, is that we just hate meetings, right? We just don't like having like work meetings. And so, like, imagine having work meetings every day where nothing gets solved, right? Like, what did you discuss on July first that was different than August fifteenth? It was just the same conversation over and over. So again, like personalities, agendas, and look, if there's one thing many college coaches have, it's like an extreme lack of self-awareness right so like all that stuff manifests itself and then the coaches are texting each other on the side and they're like you know like ripping the other guys at the eight and everything so back to nebraska like scott frost had exponentially better players than everyone at ucf and look he did a lot with a lot you cannot take anything away from that undefeated season he took shaq griffith from the depths of their depth chart and he was the he was the aac defensive player of the year like there was a lot of good there but Quite frankly, at Nebraska, he has not recruited a roster. They don't have an identity. There's not a player in the program you are actually excited to watch. Like, I watched a decent amount of that Iowa game. There was not like, oh, I can't wait till this guy touches the ball. I can't wait to see this happen. I, like, I, I was texting with a coach that day who had played Nebraska this year, and he said, hard to describe what they are good at. QB scrambles, I guess. But, like, here you are. It, 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 you know, into this into this Scott Frost era, and they really don't have an identity. They were never going to be able to at Nebraska, recruit the kind of roster that you can hyper-tempo and blow the rest of the West away. That was, I think that is now, we can we can all agree that that was a fallacy. So you have to find something you're good at. You have to find it fast. You probably have to make some staff changes because remember, Scott Frost, the conquering hero, brought his whole staff from UCF with him. I'm not going to sacrifice. Well, a lot of times, I mean, Tom Herman just went through the, the the same thing last year. He didn't bring his whole staff from Houston, but a lot bought, bought a lot of them, and he had to he had to shed them for a chance to to keep moving on this year. Now, the interesting test case here will be Bill Moose because Bill Moose and Scott Frost have been brothers of simpatico. Man, they have echoed each other throughout all this COVID stuff. They have been like rogue Nebraska, World Show, the Big Ten. When you are as bad as Nebraska is on the field, all that stuff really starts to backfire on you, which is probably why Ferentz was so exasperated on Saturday. What you also have to do is 
really look, if you're Bill Moose, and say, who has more credibility in the state? Can Bill Moose put his thumb down on Frost and say, hey, man, you need to make some changes. We need to give these people hope. Because, look, Nebraska has a great set of fans, with a great fan bases in all of college football. They would show up if it was a peewee flag team losing 100 to nothing. Like, that's just who they are. That's, that's what they are. But that can be dangerous, too, because you bring one of your own – is the athletic director sort of lionizing and mythologizing Scott Frost? We have a damn good coach and a good young team. Remember those comments? Or do you have to step back and take a critical look and say, hey, you need to change. We are lagging behind a bad division. Like we're in a bad division right now. And it is clear we are inferior to the other mediocre teams in our bad division. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think they probably are the best fans, quite honestly. Not only do they fill up their own stadium, they go to the other team stadiums and fill it up. I mean, yeah. and there's nothing there for years and years. I'm looking at their recruiting rankings on rivals, team recruiting rankings. Uh, Frost got number 18 this year, 17 last year, 15 in 2019 class. So those are sophomores, right? 21 is in, in 18. And then before he inherited a number 20 and number 24 would be a 15 senior. So recruiting is there's no, he can't tell between a 15 and a 17, right? But I think if you look, recruiting's a little bit better under him. Like I, I look more on the trend line, if, if you will, than necessarily saying, but it's certainly not like he's popped a couple fives in there or, you know, a, a three in there or he's beating, he's going back to Florida where he had these, you know, he, he landed two kids from, you know, Dr. Phillips or something out of Orlando that, that the SEC wanted. That hasn't happened. So, the recruiting's maybe a slightly better than it was when they were bad and he came in, but it's certainly not world beater. It's, you know, look, Nebraska's a great place to go play football. I think, but so you're going to get some players. But I also think you're sitting there as a Nebraska fan, and I get it. Like they're going to sell you on the idea that we're, this is as good as we can be, and we're going to get there. Matt Campbell's about to win the Big Twelve that's, regular see, season title at Ames. Kurt Ferentz just keeps beating you. Eli Drinkwitz has got four wins in Missouri. You know, yeah. Kansas State had a. I thought a bad loss yesterday, but like you don't have to be Ohio State, but damn, you know, like Northwestern is first in the division. Northwestern, you know? I mean, yeah. That, yeah, no, that that's the thing is is it's like Nebraska can't just sit there and say, well, we're up against it because the teams that are every bit as up against it as they are are succeeding because they've got the right people or the right uh, you know framework or culture or whatever you want to call it, and and they're getting it done. So that's where you know that. They, they they are out of excuses, basically. It's either, you know what, we realize we're not that good or we realize our conquering hero homeboy isn't that good. So look at the Nebraska footprint right now geographically. Other than Kansas, can you say in that footprint they are distinctly better than any other program? They're, they're not distinctly better than Kansas State. They're not better than either Iowa school. They're not better than Missouri right now. I don't really think Arkansas is in that footprint, but like, and then you got Wisconsin, North Dakota State, Minnesota, yeah, they, they, Minnesota. Had a, like in the contiguous yeah. states, they might be better than Wyoming and the South Dakota schools. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. yes. Congratulations, yeah, Colorado. Big Go Big yeah, Red. Nothing. Yes. All right. Well, let's yes, give. So. Let's give. I'm sorry, Nebraska fan. Don't slit your wrists here because of this part. <laughs> I'm going to give you some hope and some good news. Yeah, ain't okay. Texas. Yeah, ain't Texas. <laughs> The only thing that's getting Nebraska fan through this thing other than leftover turkey sandwich is Texas is a smoldering ruin. They need you, too. See, I think these two schools needed each other. That's the thing. I think they, they there's like a you split them up and, and they haven't been anything. 
Um, maybe put the reunion on the Longhorn Network, which drove them apart initially. <laughs> maybe that's like the yeah, big. Right. Uh, and then no one would see to, it. No one would see it. <laughs> that's like a good we, point. Um, Nebraska needs Oklahoma game again. They need the Texas game again. That's the other thing. They don't have any rivalries. Although I'll give you, Frost has gotten people angry at the school, so the rest of the Big Ten is a little fired up. But they don't have these games. They, whatever's going on, they don't play Colorado enough. I mean, they did, but now they're not. All right, Texas loses to Iowa State. Some of us had it was a difficult beat for some of us. This is this three losses now for the Longhorns. Tom Herman is uh, the hot seat is hotter than can be. There is, you know, endless lists of Texas. Nothing better than a Texas list. Texans think they're the only ones with money. That's my favorite thing about Texas. <laughs> Someone said that to me. They, they really Very think they've point. got more money than everyone. I remember that I, I, I got told that by a, a ticket broker once. Because people think like if the Cowboys make the Super Bowl, it'll be the highest ticket market. And, and it would be very, very high. But it was the Giants against the perfect Patriots that year they played. And they go, people in Texas think they got more money than Wall Street, and they ain't. <laughs> they don't, like, don't worry, I'm selling luxury boxes for like, you know, $75,000 or whatever it is. So Texans think they can hire anybody. But do you think, we'll start with you, Pete. Do you think, and then I'll run through some names. Do you think Tom Herman is done in Texas or does he get one more year? I can't stand on the table and say he's definitively done, but I would think the trend lines are going that way. I think a lot of this is going to come down to Chris Del Conte, the athletic director at Texas's ability to back channel and land a coach to replace Tom Herman. A good little nugget here to understand Del Conte is that when he hired Jamie Dixon as the TCU basketball coach, and Jamie Dixon was an excellent hire as a basketball coach, Trent Johnson, the ultimately forgettable Trent Johnson, was the TCU coach. And basically, Trent Johnson was fired and Jamie Dixon was hired in like 30 seconds. Now, I'm exaggerating. But the point was, Del Conte went, back channeled it, wired it, did it, he wasn't going to get rid of Trent Johnson, who was perfectly functional, without having a replacement lined up. So, look, Texas has run some really bad searches, right? Like, that, like nothing gets the industry in that world more fired up than a Texas search because they're going to throw around money. There's going to be a million hands in the pot. There's going to be a million voices. Like, it is – if you want, like, a crystallization of, like, everything that's wrong with big-time athletics, if you want, like, a finger-wagging uh, – who are those people in D.C. that always kind of get their panties in a twist. Yeah, the Night Drake commission, group yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Night, Night like, Commission, you, Drake group, yeah, yeah. same thing. You, yeah. Yes, they are. Yes. If you want to get like them on the podium wagging their finger, like just like break out a, like a like a Texas, a Texas football search. Uh, so if Del Conte is savvy, what he will do is basically go and try to line up someone because Tom Herman has not been good enough in Austin, but he has not been completely incompetent. And there is a chance if you fire Tom Herman and go through some like flailing search in a pandemic, you end up with a worse coach. I mean, that is like that is a that is a real option. Tom Herman's 30 and 18. The program is distinctly better than it was under Charlie Strong. But in Texas standards, it's not good enough. And that's that's understandable. And Tom Herman's a bright guy. I think at his core, he understands that he hasn't pushed it far enough after that Sugar Bowl win in 2018. So the obvious name here is Urban Meyer. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to go back to coaching because of the health issues, uh, because he likes his lifestyle right now. But like that is if that is the ultimate Crystal Conte hire. Crystal Conte is a guy who came up in fundraising and he is essentially a salesman. You meet Crystal Conte, it's the firm handshake and the radio voice. And he is 
every bit of a character and a caricature of an athletic director who came up in the fundraising channel. So if you, he can trot Urban Meyer out there, he knows the slot machines are going to come. And so I really think that like that's that's easy option one, but if that option is available, and I don't think it is right now, option two, three, four, five, I don't think it's as clear. Pat, what do you think? Oh, I agree with you 100% that uh, if you can get Urban, you go get Urban, but if you can't, it gets dicey and it gets expensive too. And again, this Texas is one of these places that, you know, we all, again, we all talk about them having more money than God. Well, they've also furloughed people. They've cut budgets. You know, they've, they've done a lot of things. And you are talking about getting rid of a guy who has not won like Lincoln Riley and maybe even hasn't this year won like Matt Campbell, but he has made the program better than what he took it over and it is not bad. It may not be what Texas aspires to. I look at I th- I think Herman and Harbaugh's tenures have been pretty similar in a lot of ways. Different styles, different people. You know, there was so much more hype and bombast that came with Harbaugh, I think, uh, than with Herman. But you know, if like if if Harbaugh had gotten the fourth and one call against J.T. Barrett, things could have been much different. If Texas beats Oklahoma in that Big Twelve championship game, things could have been much different. Neither of those things happened, and what's happened since then is you've seen declining returns. You know, the thing, the problem, you know, with Texas, and God, we have just seen it year after year with Herman, is every game is close because you just don't play on a level that's distinctly better or worse than your competition ever. And then a lot of games, you just make so many mistakes that you lose. And that often comes down to little things that are easily identifiable as, oh, if the coach had kicked the field goal to go up seven, or if the coach hadn't run that fake punt, or if we didn't have 12 penalties for 120 yards, you know, those things come back to roost on Herman's desk. But if I were Del Conte, and I think you are 100% correct, he is a sizzle guy, he is a salesman, and he will want something to sell to the boosters. And if you can't sell it, maybe you don't do it. If you're trying to sell Matt Campbell or I don't know who else, I mean, maybe Bill you O'Brien. Don't do it. Bill O'Brien, right. yeah, you know, right. Goods. Mario Cristobal. O'Brien be tough in Texas because he is not popular. Yeah, right. Because I mean, yeah, yeah, no, he was very unpopular that's, there. That, that's, so that's if tough. you can bring that's, in Urban Meyer, you do it. But if you can't, I'm not sure you pull the trigger. Bill's not popular with Texans fans because he traded. But I, I mean, I don't know that he's like incapable of recruiting. You know, because of his thing. I, let me go back to Del Conte. Del Conte's, as we know, a total character. One of the greatest, Del, this is Del, this is Chris Del Conte because he's the only, I think he's the only AD who would have done this. And it's the famous story about TCU got into the Big 12. Their realignment was going crazy. And Del Conte realized he had about one week to somehow get TCU into the Big 12. And rather than sit around on the phone, he gets a graduate assistant, gets up at like six in the morning and they drive. He gets a bunch of binders full of info. He drives unannounced to Austin, walks into uh, Delos uh, Dodd's office and asks to see the AD of Texas. It was Delos Dodd's at that time. I- I'm going to read this quote because I just looked this up. I get up eight in the morning, Matt Darrow K. Royal Stadium. I get to Dodd's office. Nine comes around. Ten comes around, right? Dodd's ain't even coming out to see him. I got a GA waiting outside for me. I just tell him, just wait 10 minutes. I'll be back. Pretty soon it's 3.30. <laughs> he's sitting there all day in the office with his binder, right? Like, just sit there. Like, no respect. None, right? None. DeLoss comes out and says, who are you? 
Chris Del Conte, <laughs> Texas Christian U. He he doesn't hear Chris, he hears Dell. So we start, so Don starts calling him Dell. Doesn't even know his name. <laughs> Dell, let's go get ourselves a drink and discuss it. This is the greatest Texas story ever. Particularly because Del Conte, Chris Del Conte ends up being the AD in Texas. Like he yeah, ends up getting right. this job, right? We went to a restaurant and had a little libation at 3.30. By the time 8.30 rolls around, we were into it pretty good. <laughs> but we got ourselves in a situation. I kept trying to give him my binders. He said, I've heard enough, Dell. And then he walked away. <laughs> so <laughs> That is the, so great. The Big 12 ADs have a conference call the next day. I get up the next morning gets a call from Joe Castiglione, the Oklahoma AD. He says, I don't know what you did, but it worked. We got the vote. <laughs> the frogs are in. <laughs> that is Chris Del Conte. He yeah. Unannounced, absolute, shows up, sits like a little kid in the waiting room, gets the guy to the bar, gets him drunk, and gets the, the gr biggest move in the entire realignment. So... He is not walking into this thing going, like you guys said, he has either flown himself to wherever Urban Meyer is, or he's he's he he's gonna bring Gary Patterson, or he's whatever it is. I agree. Herman doesn't go unless there is plan B is in the fold, or else Chris Del Conte is not Chris Del Conte anymore. Because once you let every booster get in on this search committee, yeah, no, which is the famous Texas, you know how many cooks in the kitchen situation, which co the other, the coaches you're trying to hire always hate, you know, that, that is like, how many people are calling me? Why are they bothering me? Why, you know, why do I have to listen to this guy and that guy and this other guy? Why can't I just talk to you? If he gets urban to say, look, I'm happy now, but call me in a year. And if you're Texas, you may not know this deal, but you sit there and go, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll ride out another eight and four next year. And then have that urban come like, that's the prize. Urban's the prize. And to me, Texas, and USC are the only two places he would go. Here's something to think about, too. So Herman, they would have to pay more than $15 million, just Tom. Tom and his staff is more than $24 million right now. Now, let's just say Mario Cristobal is like a good name for this job. You know, uh, hot coach of the Pac-12. He could recruit the way Herman hasn't quite recruited. Like, he's he can bring in – essentially – the Urban Meyer system, like the Urban Meyer, the plan to win and the core values and all that stuff we've seen sort of adopted all these places has now not worked twice in a row. So yeah. do, you, do, you, do you go there and you say, OK, well, let's try the Nick Saban system. Let's try that recruiting model. Let's let's change things a little bit. So let's go hire Mario Cristobal. So I have this up from uh, from the Oregonian right now. The buyout Cristobal would owe Oregon if we were to leave before the end of the contract. If he did so before January 14th, 2020, which you would really need to do in this situation, Crystal Ball would owe Oregon $9 million, up from $8 million earlier. So, like, that's now you're $24 million, now you're $34, you know, $33 million. That's, you know, that's a, that's a lot of cheese in a pandemic for a coaching change. Uh, PJ Flex buyout before, and I'm just thinking, like, it, I don't think. A non-Power 5 coach, Luke Fickle could work because I think he was at Ohio State so long and really has a good understanding of like high-end national recruiting. But I don't know if hiring kind of a hot young guy is like – that. like you need someone who can understand Texas and all the complications of Texas and all the BS of Texas, right? So, you know, P.J. Fleck would cost $10 million before January 1st. 
Like there, these are, and that number goes down pretty significantly after that. I think to five. But these are these are real numbers. I don't care how rich you are. I don't care how much money Texans claim to have. I don't care what oil prices are. Thirty plus million before you start hiring staff, and then you got to bring in all the like that is a lot of money in a in a pandemic. Like, and well, and look, I think Auburn after playing A and M next week could be staring at something similar too. They'd August twenty one million. Half of that's a poison pill. They got to pay in thirty days. So that's like ten and a half million. You're going to have to write before you know before January first if you uh, if you go on. So look, in, in you know we can pretend that like Texas is in a financial crunch right now. They've done layoffs. They've cut back. Like they've had to make hard decisions. So it, it's really going to be fascinating. But I do think I I wrote early in the season. I don't think there'll be much of a coaching carousel this year. And I am going to soon write I was wrong. We will see. We will see. That an Auburn deal. Man, they got smoked. And oh, the, the Iron Bowl isn't like on our list of things really to talk about. Yeah. That's how bad the Iron Bowl was. Yeah. Uh, well, they but, got smoked and it wasn't a surprise. No. Nah. And why? No, they got smoked and the best coach in, in recent history didn't wasn't even there. Three years too. ago, you know? everybody wanted at Auburn, pretty much wanted Malzahn to take the Arkansas job and he didn't. And yet they, he has the big year, and then they give him, again, one of these extensions with these buyouts. Why? Why the Didn't buyout? Didn't they fire the president right after that? Yeah. Didn't they run the president out who gave him that? That's, mean, like, that's classic. Like, God I mean, love Auburn. Thing. Never Auburn's stop being the one you, place. It's so It just doesn't make any sense. Nothing, you know, none of the common sense parameters yes. we would apply to a lot of situations apply to Auburn. So they're just their own little cuckoo house over here. <laughs> The buyouts make no. Where was Tom Herman going to leave Texas for? I mean, yeah. these, these coaches will not. Your job is good enough. You don't. You don't right. need a buyout. Tom Herman did a good job at Houston and got this kind of a buyout. Like uh, you know, like what for what? Where was he going? You don't leave Texas. If you if you're leaving Texas, there's no amount of money that would have kept you at Texas. Right. It's because you're leaving yeah. for the NFL or. Like if Tom Herman was winning big and Ohio State open, he wanted to go back. He's going to leave. But other than that, just these buyouts are stupid, and they they handcuff your program. And and here you are. All right, let's. Uh, this is the guy who I think is the hottest up and coming coach, Matt Campbell. They are in a uh, prime position to at least win the regular season Big Twelve. They would have to probably play Oklahoma again in the Big Ten Twelve title game, but they have not won a conference championship of any kind since nineteen twelve. Uh, they're seven and two on the year. They're they're playing good, solid football. You don't watch them, and this isn't the product of like I don't know, like Drew Brees was at Purdue or so. You know, it's not one of these like just yeah, got some. They just a really solid football team, and they just they beat Texas, and it was almost not a surprise. But it's like Texas got better players. Thoughts on this Iowa State team, and then we'll talk about Matt K. I mean, but I think it like deserves a couple minutes of just like, hey, hey, Cyclones, this is this is your year. Enjoy it. Stop worrying about your coach. No doubt. No, I mean that's. It, 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 I was really impressed watching them because they started off getting absolutely boat raced out of DKR Memorial Stadium. It was ten to nothing. It should have been fourteen to nothing. Texas was running every play they wanted. Iowa State's three and out, like unfazed, which is Matt Campbell on. Face and that was his team, and they just started making plays. And they've got a, a pretty good, darn, darn good quarterback. But it was between Boise State and Iowa State for the quarterback. Uh, Brees Hall is a very good running back, but I don't think he was anybody's five star recruit. Uh, their tight ends are extremely good. Charlie Kohler and the other kid, uh, Sainer, uh, kept getting hit in the legs and kept coming back. I felt sorry for him, he was playing hurt. 
you know, that's they. Brees Hall said it. It was a little bit of a provocative quote, but it was a really good quote after the game. He said, "It's five star culture against five star players, and they've got the culture. They really do. They they have built a program. Uh, they execute. They're tough. Uh, they believe they're good enough, and it's it's very impressive uh, because that is a place that has no." business winning conference championships at a power five level they never have and now they're on the cusp of it so good for them yeah as we look over these next couple weeks matt campbell i think becomes one of the most interesting people in college football give him a ton of credit i obviously watched that game like 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 you guys did i do think Brees saw it's funny he said that quote he's like the closest thing they have to a five star he had a real offer list michigan offered nebraska offered um you know he had most of that big 12 footprint again I'm not saying he could have gone to Alabama, Clemson, or USC, but he was, you know, he was he was a real guy. He was a U.S. Army All-American. Brees Hall was a good a good back, and I think that the the ability for Matt Campbell to recruit a guy like that was because he had built the foundation at Iowa State. And if you're a back, I think you want to go run in that offense. But I want to double down on Dan's point. They're not running some goofy system at Iowa State. Like this isn't some like quirky. Like there's nothing there's nothing like unique about what they're doing schematically. They're just like, it's like good, solid football. Texas decided to not cover the tight ends all day. And they really stuck <laughs> to the game plan of not covering the tight ends. Like it was, it was defiant. And I will have to, since Pat went five and zero, oh, and he's going to brag about it for the rest of the podcast. I will have to like, I will have to chide him because he was violently second guessing Matt Campbell's decision to punt with three minutes to go and three timeouts when they had fourth and short. And then- all I said was <laughs> don't punt Matt Campbell. That's not violent. <laughs> It got angry. That's one sentence with one comma. <laughs> that is four words. I probably should have said, don't throw a vertical route, Mike Yersich, because that's really was the, 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 that made Matt Campbell look smart. The, the terrible play calling by Texas there in the, in the, I wouldn't even say attempt. They didn't even attempt to like run the clock. So, but back to Iowa state and what's happening there. Th- this is what I would say to Matt Campbell. Like he is right now, Jim Grove, right? He has wake forest, competing for ACC titles, things it never thought it would do. And this was, what, 15 years ago? And Jim Grubb could have taken a bunch of jobs. I actually think Nebraska was was one of them when you, uh, when you look back. Don't think you can defy gravity forever. You have created something magical. I was talking to Sage Rosenfels, who's probably the best quarterback in Iowa State history the, the other day. And he said, look, like, it wasn't even like, oh, my God, don't leave Matt Campbell. It was like, don't leave for something bad. He was like, look, when Fred Hoiberg went to the Bulls, Iowa State fans said thank you for one of the great – like they understood. And when I was talking to Jamie Pollard, the, the AD, when I profiled Campbell a couple weeks ago, he was like, I want to work with Matt and help him make a great decision. Like there was no like they, – they just have like a realistic sense of who they are in the in the pecking order, what they can pay, all, all those kinds of things. So, yeah, I think Matt Campbell is shaping up to you know, have his slice of history. But remember, that Big 12 title game is what? December 19th? Signing day is December 16th. So there's going to there's gonna be a lot of lying, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> backstabbing, and a lot of misleading. I mean, look, in the coaching carousel, in recruiting, in these AD worlds, there is always a lot of lying, right? Like that is just part of, being lied to is part of it. But you, you are going to have, you are going to have to either say, I'm going to overtly lie to some of these recruits, or you're going to have to not fire your coach. Like it, 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 the, the, the tension building with the season lasting three weeks later and going right into signing day is going to be fascinating theater. Yeah, and there's no break for there's no break where the season ends either, and and then practice starts. Although Iowa State does not play the twelfth right now, but 
Yeah, I don't know a lot of things. And back to that not guarding the tight end. There's two <laughs> things that grow in Iowa. It's tight ends and corn. <laughs> I was watching that. Like they Iowa and Iowa State always have tight ends. That's their thing. I, I didn't need I didn't watch any yeah. game film prepping for the game this week. <laughs> There's always a six six dude over there on the edge. And it, it's the same guy on both teams for my entire life. What are you doing? Anyway. All right. Other big story in college football, and you never would expect this. Uh, the kicking game of Vanderbilt. The <laughs> Vanderbilt kicking game, which didn't attempt an actual <laughs> kick yesterday. And it's, was it 41-0 loss to Mizzou? Uh, but they, uh, needing a kicker, they they went movie script and uh, called in uh, Sarah Fuller, the goaltender for the SEC champion Vanderbilt uh women's soccer team and Sarah took the job on got out there with a uh, a sticker or a, an emblem on the back of her head to play like a girl and became the first female to play in a power five football game by being the kicker unfortunately Vanderbilt is so bad that even in this Disney movie <laughs> of, a, of a story they couldn't even attempt one field goal I mean come on Vanderbilt and I'm not sure Missouri shouldn't have allowed it or something. Like, what? This is like Rudy not getting in the game practically, right? I mean, it's just like, what the hell, Vanderbilt? That is how inept you are. The one feel-good story that America likes, and you can't even really pull it off. Anyway, she she kind of squib-kicked it down. That was her play. All credit to her. She was in the game. I can tell you, as a father of two female soccer players, there was much excitement over this, interest, they wanted to know what Vanderbilt was. I was like, Vanderbilt's going to get killed. They didn't. They didn't know nothing about Vanderbilt. I'm like, this isn't going to go well. Um, but um, exciting moment for a lot of people. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that, Pat? You want to start? Yeah, um, and that's why I was I was curious because I was thinking of your girls who were soccer players, and I was thinking of our friend Brian Hamilton's daughter, who's a basketball player and a softball player and other people who have kids. And obviously I have a girl who's an athlete too. And there was a great deal of excitement. I mean, far beyond any Vanderbilt Missouri game has ever engendered over this and watching it. And there are a lot of reasons why this was not just a publicity stunt by Vanderbilt. Now, did they play up the publicity as this got closer to the game and it was clear she was going to kick? Yes, they did. Why shouldn't they? That's their job. What else you got to sell when your team's winless? But, you know, they get her because they've got COVID issues with their kickers. It's Monday. The campus is cleared out. Nobody is there. She is packing up to go home for Thanksgiving. They're like, hey, we need a kicker. Can you come over? She goes, yeah, I'll be at the, I'll be at the complex in an hour. And she's there. They set her up for a field goal. She makes it. They set her up for more. She keeps making them. Not necessarily long kicks, but she's making place kicks. So they're like, okay. She gets out there for her kickoff. But before then, this is great. It's okay. First half, she does nothing. She stands on the sidelines, doesn't get a chance to do anything. She's going to kick off to start the second half. But halftime, they're getting trucked. She goes in the locker room and says to a couple people, hey, would you, would you mind if I say something? <laughs> like, no, go ahead. And this is why, like, between this and talking to her afterwards, you see a level of confidence and belonging in young women athletes that I don't think existed 20 years ago, maybe even 10 years ago. 
certainly not 30 and 40 years ago. She gets up there and says, hey, we need a little more fire on the bench. We need a little more energy. And you know why? Because she's used to being a soccer player with no fans. And you got to create your own juice and your own energy as a team. So that's where that's coming from. And she's also on a championship team. And she's basically like, hey, you losers, let's go. Let's get fired up here. She has the confidence to say that. She has the confidence to go out and do this, put on the uniform, do a great interview afterwards with the SPN, sit down for a Zoom call, answer every question with like, yeah, I, yeah I'm here. And not like, oh, my gosh, this is just so I'm overwhelmed. No, she's not overwhelmed by it because we're raising a lot of women right now that expect to be able to do stuff like this. And it's awesome. That's the great thing to me. It's like we don't have girls that there and look and say, I can't do that. You know, and I'm not saying she's going to be a great kicker. I'm not saying she could play another any other position other than kicker. That doesn't matter. That's immaterial. But. Could she get out there and kick off for Vanderbilt? Yeah. Could she try placements for Vanderbilt? Yeah. And could other women do the same thing in football? Yeah. And I think actually real quick, I'll give this up, but you guys have covered the Olympics. You've been around some of these Olympic women athletes that are just incredible people. I go back to the uh, the women's soccer work, work teams that won the Women's World Cup in like 99 and then went to the Olympics and won the gold medal. Julie Foudy, Brandy Chastain, that were just, you talk to them, you're like, man, these, these are going to be the people that are going to lead uh, American women going forward. And they have. They should be looking at people like Sarah Fuller and saying, yep, I'm proud of her because she reminds me of me when I was that age. Well, I, all, all great points, Pat. And I really think this, when we look back at 2020, this, this will be one of the defining moments of this college football season. Nothing that has happened in college football in 2020 has transcended the sport and rippled through pop culture in America like Sarah Fuller's moment. And I don't even think it's close. I couldn't even tell you what like the second biggest thing has been. Uh, now, there has been some of the social justice movement. There has been some things like that. But this captured America, captured the common fan, it captured the person on the street. It made people pay attention. Dan, I don't think your daughters probably watch a lot of college football with you on Saturdays. They basically make fun of you when you watch directional schools, right? Like, it captured the imagination of young girls across America. So I thought it was a wonderful moment. I thought Vanderbilt played it perfectly. I thought Derek Mason played it perfectly. Uh, and look, I hope she comes back. Look, Vanderbilt's 0-8 right now. And this, like, has injected optimism, hope, great publicity. I mean, Russell Wilson was tweeting about it. David Price, former Vanderbilt pitcher. was Like, it really was an, an electric moment. And if people have too much, like, toxic masculinity or just too much bile in them to not appreciate what that is, I don't even have time for that. Like, it, it just uh, – Pat wrote a great column about it uh, on SI.com. You guys should read it. Sirit Sohi for Yahoo wrote – I thought was an excellent column about the moment and what it meant in 2020 – um, it, it's just in terms of like uh, inspiration. And so I tweeted that out and I looked at some of the replies and it's all your like American flag bot BS stuff. <laughs> you, you know, it's just like the yeah. typical, typical not, there's almost like an industry of that right now. And so, uh, if, if you can't see the power of that, like, I don't really care what you have to say. I, I honestly, I don't know how miserable in the world you have to be <laughs> to get angry Seriously. that a female kicked off in a 41 to 0 yes. loss for a winless football team. Like how miserable is your life that you are Seriously. offended by Sarah Fuller? Nobody else could kick. Right. Okay? Right. Nobody else could kick. We put I mean, who cares? There right. was no negative to this. If this is what you're seeking, you need to look in the mirror. 
Who cares? Oh, she's taking attention away from what? The team's horrible. This is in Trotter out is an affirmative action. Uh, you're going to kick off the Super Bowl. No, she got it. My kids were excited. Like they were literally asking before the game. And yes, my daughters come down and they watch me and I'll be watching, you know, Central Arkansas playing Abilene <laughs> Christian. This, this is a little quote. I can't remember the game this year. But my daughter, Allie, comes down and sees the, the two names at the top. And she goes, oh, dad, this is a new low for you. and i'm like yes yes it is yes it is just be glad (laughs) this is your dad's addiction and i'm not like you know down here like cooking meth or or gambling on this thing like i'm just watching i actually am enjoying and yes that's an internet broadcast off of the somehow i don't even know how i'm watching this anyway sarah fuller and and i really appreciate pat's point and we have covered eight olympics I've covered uh, three world women's World Cups. And I will say about last year's or two or whenever that last women's World Cup team is. Uh, and I've covered an, I've covered women, U.S. women's soccer team for a very long time, either Olympics or friendlies or all of them. You do have those women like Julie Foudy, who is on ESPN. She runs a leadership camp for basketball, soccer, softball. A couple, one in up in Jersey, Atlanta. She has them around the country. And you go and you you do camp and you learn some skills, but it is about leadership. And if you know Julie Foudy, Julie Foudy is a very, very impressive person. Okay? Like she, you, this is a leader. You know? Okay? You don't have to be Scott Frost to be the leader. She is a leader. Okay? And I will say this about the last women's soccer team. And I know it got political. They were arguing with Trump. There are a lot of people that didn't like them, this and that. They're very political. And if you can get past whether you agree with their politics or don't, because they actually were extremely diverse in their politics. And you actually saw it, I think, this weekend. Some of them kneeled. Some of them didn't. But if you talk to Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Julie Ertz, Kelly O'Hara, Sam Mewis, these women are leaders. They are smart. They don't care. They are going to do exactly what Julie Ertz and Megan Rapino do not agree on a whole lot of things. I don't think they are opposite. I think, I think Ertz stood Rapino, you know, I don't know if she played this weekend. I missed the game, but whatever, but they are all willing to speak out and make their statement and do whatever the heck they want. And she comes from that culture, Sarah Fuller, where I can absolutely see her going, yeah, you need me to kick for the team? I'll then just give me that chance, right? Oh, I'm going to talk to, hey, you know what? Our team actually won games this year. And we and they weren't the best team in the SEC soccer, but they won the, 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 the tournament and they got it together. So you are raising, and it is better for this country to have strong women. I don't know that 20 or 30 years ago, those women would have that same ability to stand up to a president or stand behind a president, okay? I don't care which side you're on, again, but you you don't tell Julie Ertz (laughs) what to think, and you don't tell, you don't tap Megan Rapino on the head and go, well, you're good for a girl. That ain't how it is anymore. So is she a viable, is a female a viable SEC kicker? No, not yet. Not yet. But who cares? It was a great story. It's a great moment. And the fact that it was on a team that we otherwise would never be discussing, I just cannot see any harm to it. And if you actually hate this story, you have, are a miserable human being. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, real quick, I want to add just because you, you, you 
Foudy, when she got to ESPN, John Walsh, who was the godfather of Sports Center and everything else at ESPN, loved her so much. She said, I'm going to make you a studio host. You're going to start, you're going to be a studio host on first take. You're going to be a fill in. And I'm on first take when they're first throwing her into this. She was scared, but you know what? She was like, yeah, I got it. I got it. Yes, I'll do it. And that's the same thing I'm thinking watching Sarah Fuller. Hey, you've never played a football game before. You want to come out and, and be our kicker? Yeah, okay, I'll do it. You know, that's the kind of attitude and the confidence that I'm seeing. And I think it's a wonderful thing. We don't like to wait here to the end of the year to give the Heisman. We like giving it out every single week. So let's do small sample Heisman. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? Pat Forty, who wins the small sample Heisman this week for you? Well, since I get to go first, I get the easiest one in small sample Heisman history. I get Jarrett Patterson, the running back for the Buffalo Bulls, generously listed at five foot nine. Maybe more like five seven. Doesn't matter. The kid is unbelievable. And what he did at Kent State in a matchup of unbeaten MAC teams was historic. Record breaking, record tying at the very least. Eight rushing touchdowns tied Howard Griffith's all time NCAA record. Uh, 409 yards rushing. Second highest, I believe, to Samaj P. Ryan, sorry, uh, from Oklahoma in 2014. And great quote in Pete's story on his takeaways that Lance Leipold did not know he had eight touchdowns and took him out near the end of the game when he could have broken the record and gotten nine. And quite frankly, somebody fire the ops guy at Buffalo, please, because that word has to get to the head coach that you have a guy who's getting ready to break the NCAA record for total touchdowns, give him the ball and get him the ninth touchdown. However, Jared Patterson, unbelievable. He's had a very, very good career. He was an 1,800-yard rusher last year. He was a 300-yard rusher last week against Bowling Green. Then he follows it up with 409, 710 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns in the last two games. That would be a fine career for many college backs. That was two weeks for Jared Patterson. Small sample Heisman, maybe the big sample Heisman. Yeah, let me piggyback on that quick. I talked to Howard Griffith, uh, who now shares the record at Club 8 with Jared Patterson. And Griffith was just so generous and so warm and, and welcoming. You know, sometimes guys have egos about records. Griffith was uh, – it, it just you could tell he had a lot of fun – BSing about it with Rebson and uh, Jared DiNaro during the day. It was, it was just a highlight of my night on Saturday. Howard was just very warm ab- about the moment and reflecting back on his uh, setting the record 30 years ago. Uh, I'm going to go with another back who wasn't as good as Jared Patterson, but he was damn good on Friday. Jermar Jefferson of Oregon State, 29 carries, 226 yards, two touchdowns, including an 82-yard burst through the Duck defense. And I'm going to give the small sample sub Heisman to Oregon State to Coach Jonathan Smith because on fourth and one at the goal line with backup quarterback chance, no one going in. He did not put him in the shotgun. He had Tristan Gebbia, Gebbia go down and he gave the backup 10 snaps with the backup center on the sideline, put him under center, and then they moved an inch. So he moved an inch to move an inch, not seven yards to move an inch. Some coaches around college football should take note of that. Best quarterback sneaker of all time was Tom Brady. He never went yeah. backwards. He just goes forward. Just, it's a very simple. And he's, we're not talking about no. the greatest athlete you've ever seen, but it works. All right. Uh, I'm giving mine to Notre Dame quarterback Ian Book, who is now 29 and three as a starting quarterback. And uh, I know we're not giving career achievements here. Uh, 23 of 33, 279 yards in a TD against North Carolina. 
eight eight att- rushing attempts for 48. Uh, not the most amazing stats because he's Ian Book, but they handled North Carolina nine and zero. He made play after play when you needed a play. His offense, and I know it's not all of him, but some of it leads to the quarterback. Their five-minute drive at the end of the game was a thing of beauty. They kept staying in bounds. They kept the clock moving. They did the little things to win, and someone gets some leadership on that. I'm going to give it to to Ian. You, you just hate those drives. It's like you're three and out. Somehow you kill 12 seconds, and you go, what, you know what? Notre Dame just grinded it out. North Carolina didn't get another shot. But listen to this. It's not just me. Mac Brown, the venerable Mac Brown, been around the game a little bit. Ian was as good tonight as anybody I have ever seen. We couldn't tackle him. I mean, we harassed him. We had people around him. There could have been six sacks. This is all true. We could not get him on the ground. Then he made some unbelievable plays on third down. He had a couple flips, which are ill-advised, but they worked. I don't know if he's in the Heisman race or not, but he should be. His record is 29-3. and He's fast. He's quick. He's accurate. He's smart. He's not going to do things to get his team beat. I was so impressed with him tonight. I was as impressed with him as much as any quarterback I've seen. Not bad. How do you feel, Mac? Mac's great, isn't he? Like I, I like coaches to say nice things about other guys. So anyway, Ian Book, congratulations. You're not going to win the real Heisman, but you can have my small sample one this week. Uh, all right, we've said plenty of mean things because we are not Mac Brown. <laughs> uh, fired numerous coaches, <laughs> promoted numerous conspiracy theories, and we really are only nice to Sarah Fuller. But can we be nice again? Pete Thamel, can you say something I'm nice? I'm going to say something nice about the Utah State Aggies, uh, who appeared on my television on Thanksgiving night and gave us the delight of a college football game on Thanksgiving. Two winless teams, Utah State and New Mexico, both entered 0-4. Utah State prevailed 41-27. We had Colorado State Air Force canceled earlier in the day. Utah State is fired their coach already or departed with him, whatever whatever jargon you want. Gary Anderson's gone. So you're 0-4. You're playing on Thanksgiving during this weird COVID season. And Utah State goes out, wins 41-27. So I'm going to salute the Aggies for slogging through this season and give me, giving me a little something to accompany my Thanksgiving night cocktails. All right. I can, I, I can salute that. Uh, I am going to... Go to Rutgers University and say something nice about the Scarlet Knights who won their second game of the season. They're two and four now with a three-point loss to Illinois that went down to the wire with a triple overtime game against Michigan. You could both of those could have gone either way. They could be three and three or even four and two. Uh, but the fact that they're two and four is a triumph, an absolute triumph at a school that had no hope for so long. They are averaging 31 points a game. They're entertaining. They're running trick plays. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And to go on the road and beat Purdue after beating Michigan State on the road earlier, things have just come so far for them very quickly. In year one under Greg Schiano, they've come so far. In fact, Sean Sullivan, that... Rutgers has a better record than Tennessee, the school that was, of course, too good to hire Greg Schiano several years ago. And it's funny, I did happen to bring that up on Twitter because I <laughs> wanted to. And the reaction now that the Tennessee fans have boomeranged back to, oh, he's a bad guy based on un- unconfirmed secondhand hearsay uh, from Mac- Mike McQuarrie. So we- we've gone from that 
to, well, no, we really just didn't want him because we thought he was a bad coach to, oh, now it looks like he is a pretty good coach. So, no, it's back to he's a bad guy. So, good for Greg Schiano, good for Rutgers. Maybe Tennessee will end up having a better record than the Scarlet Knights this year, but I wouldn't necessarily count on it. I loved, I was talking to David Jones from um, Penn Live, who covers Pittsburgh, uh, Penn State, I'm sorry, covered Penn State in the Big Ten for years. And we just happened to mention that uh, the Rutgers game and the, the celebration of the Rutgers players at the end of the game oh. was phenomenal. It, it was like they, they've, they lost 31 straight road games in the Big Ten, and now they've won two. Uh, but it was, it, we were talking about it because like Michigan has no heart. Like they, they nobody can't, like, I, I think you go to these top schools and you're like, I'm going to go 10 and two, or I'm going to compete for a title. And when it all goes off the rails and you're not getting the cheers. And I mean, this season stinks. It's hard to keep emotion up when you go to Rutgers. You're, you're used to being like, Hey, we win any game. Yeah, we win it. So the celebration of Rutgers was really fun. They were really, really excited to beat Purdue. And that was it was a fun game to watch. They play entertaining games. All right. I'm going to give my or Pete Jets on that. Uh, no, I was just going to say what happens at a place of like Rutgers is it, you can get a collective heartbeat. When when Penn State and Michigan goes off the rails, you have a bunch of independent contractors. So it's just like it's it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. And uh, credit Shiano. It, it, it was a cool moment. I saw it on Twitter with 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 the chop. He has really gotten gotten that team bonded together and they are fighting above their weight now. It's amazing how Nebraska transfer quarterbacks are much better than they were at Nebraska. Like, Jebby is better than anything at Nebraska. Noah Vedro, who didn't play Saturday, <laughs> but play, has played well this year for Rutgers, has been, you know, he was a backup at Nebraska. It's funny how that's that's worked. I like during a say something nice about Rutgers. We still find a way to trash <laughs> Nebraska. Um, I'm going to say something nice about Tylen Knight. He is a junior defensive back for Ole Miss. And uh, we did not have any urinating dogs in this year's Egg Bowl. Remember when they when they redid the flag and someone submitted that the, oh, yeah. the picture of Elijah? Uh, yeah, that yeah. was going to be oh, the, yeah. the state flag. It did not win the oh, vote. Yeah. Did not win the vote. Um, but uh, should have. I think it should have been a more of a contender. That's what I think. Anyway, Tyler Knight. It is uh, Ole Miss is trailing early in the game. Mississippi State is uh, got Austin Williams. Their receiver is heading to the end zone, about to score. Gets to the one, and Tyler Knight. Punches the ball loose. The ball gets scooped up by uh, Dean Leonard, uh, and he returns it all way down the field, and, and Ole Miss ends up uh, tying the game, and it, it changed the the momentum of, of the Egg Bowl in a big way. Tyler Knight is the smallest player on Ole Miss. Tyler Knight came to Ole Miss as a two-star recruit, a running back out of high school. Okay, He then, in 2018, moved to, to, to defense because injuries piled up, and so he filled in there. Then in 2019, they moved him to wide receiver because they needed a spot to do it. Uh, then the start of this season, he moves back to running back. But then depth concerns on defense and COVID. We need someone to play safety. So Tylen's in for that. He moves to safety. And he makes, you know, arguably the biggest play in the Egg Bowl to win the game. He's only a junior. I love guys like this. This is not the transfer portal. This isn't I need playing time. This is I'm a running back. This is how can I help the team? What do I got to do to I join the Ole Miss football team and whatever I need to do to help the Ole Miss football team, I'm going to do. And I love guys like that. Very different note. One of the best stories about Patrick Mahomes is when he's a sophomore in high school, he played defense. He was a defensive back because they had a quarterback at his high school who played at Stephen F. Austin, was good enough to play college. So Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes said, all right, I'll play D-back. For one season, he hated it. 
He's the quarterback, but he didn't sit there and pout and say, I'm going to play baseball. Well, screw you. I love guys like this. Tylen's not going to become Patrick Mahomes, but you do get something nice said, and you go down as an Egg Bowl legend uh, for your play. So congratulations to Tylen. All right, that is our show this week. There's a lot, as it tends to be. The one good thing about COVID, I will say, is it has extended our season for weeks. <laughs> like, normally it's kind of a sad week. It's an exciting weekend, but a sad one. Right. Yeah. Nope, we got more. So we uh, we'll, be, we'll be back Wednesday, full slate next week. We'll see who's playing and who isn't. Appreciate you listening. Keep subscribing, saying something nice about us on, on social media and all that. And uh, we will talk to you all on Wednesday. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.